This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. All right, today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk to Alex Sherman from CNBC about rights holders and whether or not people are going to make payments on sports games or fights that are not happening. We'll also talk to Damon Martin of MMAfighting.com about how fighters are training in this current condition. Plus, we'll react to some of the breaking UFC 249 news. It appears to be official. Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje for UFC 249 on April 18th. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 3 p.m. on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. And don't forget the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. All right, we are back. Luke Thomas Show. Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com, at MMA on Sirius XM, at uh, Sirius XM Fight Nation on Instagram. And the previous one was for Twitter for all the voting, all the news, and all the good stuff in between. All right, I have some news for everybody. Yes, indeed I do. I was not sure I was going to be able to get to this, but here we are today. All right, first things first on this. Let's get to it. UFC President Dana White tweeting, it is official. It's kind of like a pickup on yesterday's tweet, but let me just read it. Uh, Tony versus Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje is official, in his words, for UFC 249. On April 18th, which is going to take place on UFC, uh, well, actually say ESPN Plus pay-per-view. All right. And it's also going to be for the interim lightweight title. Yes, you heard that correctly. It's going to be for the interim lightweight title. Let's break down this piece by piece if we can. Let's start with that interim lightweight title. First of all, I, it doesn't bother me at all. You know, I guess what it means is that the person who wins will get a title shot, although that's never really guaranteed. But, okay, that's part of it. Part of it. And it means that either Tony, who could become a two-time champion here with this uh, interim champion anyway, it means either that Tony or that Justin is going to get extra money when they fight the Khabib after this, basically. right? Because at that point, they'll have had a title. They don't get anything extra here, although they do by being in the main event. But by virtue of being in that catbird seat, they're going to get extra money. Now, you might say, well, it shouldn't take being in this particular role to get this kind of money, and you'd probably be right, but it does. So, honestly, I do, it doesn't bother me. I don't care. You know, at least it sets up some hierarchy. It's fine. It's whatever. The belt doesn't matter, and if it gets guys paid, I'm just not going to lose my mind over it. If y'all want to, and there's something I'm missing, let me know, but for now, I don't care. Okay, number one, that's the first thing. Second thing I'd say is they don't have a location yet. Obviously, we talked about the report earlier in the show about the West Coast and being on tribal land. Something to consider. If they're on tribal land, Native American territory, they can do what they want. Um, but, like, for example, if you, let's say you were a smaller show and you couldn't get regulated by the California Athletic Commission and you just went to um, Native American territory, you could do that. But then if you ever wanted to get regulated in the state, Beyond that, you might have some trouble if they didn't like what you were up to. The thing is, it's like UFC is such a juggernaut in the combat sports space. Does any commission really want to go down that line with them? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You'll notice that they didn't announce any safety protocol here, which isn't to say they don't have any. They just didn't announce any. So where it's going to be, don't know. What's the protocol going to be for safety as it relates to COVID-19? Don't know. Don't know any of that. Um, okay. So, 
That's the interim title. That's the location. That's the safety protocol. Um, as for the fight itself, I have to tell you, I find it very, very risky. Very, very risky. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the show, but it's it's a, not an easy fight. Oddsmakers have Tony as a slight favorite, which you could understand. Uh, he does have a six-inch reach advantage, but he gets hit a lot. And Justin Gaethje might be the hardest hitter. So let's talk about the potential outcomes here. You could have Justin Gaethje as your next interim lightweight champion, in which case he would likely face potentially the winner of Connor versus Khabib, but let's just say Habib. And that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but then you would have lost the Tony versus Nurmagomedov fight basically forever. At any, at any point where it was still relevant and you know the biggest one they could make in the sport. So that's one. On the other hand, you could get Tony back at it again, in which case, he'd like as I mentioned before, he'd become a two-time champ. Uh, two-time interim champ, which would be really strange. So that's there. As for how it might go, man, your guess is really as good as mine. On the one hand, gun to my head, asked to tell you which guy is more talented. Overall, I'm going to say Tony. Tony has more ways to win and typically skills win fights. But here's the thing. 36 years old, which is old for that division. And he's facing maybe one of the hardest hitters in that division. Who's on a three-fight win streak after reforming his style. Who goes for broke. Who, you know, yes, I don't think he's had quite the experience in longer fights against elite opposition in the way that Ferguson has. I think that part's pretty clear. But he just appears to be absolutely ready to rock. Now, there is this question about what kind of preparation you're going to get, at least from Justin. Is he going to have the gas tank to go five rounds? I don't know. In some ways, this was the uh, situation he was asking for. He was looking to be a fill-in when we interviewed him a long time ago, saying he wouldn't mind filling in, but the UFC would have to make it worth his while. Maybe the interim title was, was part of that. You know, kind of hard to know. So I can see ways where Tony uh, doesn't take a fatal blow early. And outlasts him and begins to just bomb on the guy who also, in the case of Justin Gaethje, is a lot more hittable than he used to be. Also, it'll be interesting to see if he kind of like reverts to his old ways, right? Does that happen? I don't know. It'll be a very curious kind of thing. Can he stick to a focused game plan with Trevor Whitman in his corner? Because, you know, Trevor is going to have things for Justin to work on that are going to be, you know, I don't want to call them kryptonite or something like that, but that are going to be really valuable in a fight against Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson... He's got overwhelming strengths, right? Cardio is ridiculous. He hits hard. He's got good wrestling, good scrambling. He's good on the ground. He's got good submissions. He's fought elite competition, the whole nine yards. But he's got known weaknesses too. So that's sort of the issue. It's like, how do you fight a guy who's got overwhelming strengths, but also, like, there's no doubt in your mind what his weaknesses are? You know, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a really, really interesting fight. And I, I, I want to go into something else here. Folks are saying, oh, this is going to do gangbusters on pay-per-view. Well, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I actually don't know. I actually don't know. So here's my thought on this. I have a theory I want to share with everybody. I have a theory, and it's just what it is. Like, there's no hardcore rules about it. I have a theory that Yes, if there's less competition in terms of other sports being on, and people are desperate to see this, they'll tune in. 
But I don't think what people want is like any old piece of content so long as it's new. That's not to say that they won't take it. But my feeling is what people actually want is a return to normalcy. That's what they want. They want to know, can I go to games again? Is the schedule just going to pick back up? Are we going to flip the lights back on in the house and the refrigerator is going to work and the washing machine is going to work and the fan's going to spin and the AC is going to turn on? That's what they want to know. Everyone feels like they're sitting in the dark. They don't want a flashlight. I mean, they'll take the flashlight, but what they really want is for someone to go into the circuit breaker, flip the switches, and for all the lights to go back on. So you look at a situation where you have mass unemployment, which is only going to continue between now and 13 days from now. You're looking at a pay-per-view. I thought there might have been an outside chance, to be honest with you, that they would have taken this to flat ESPN linear, but I guess that wasn't in the cards. I realize that would have involved a series of negotiations and sacrifices and God only knows what else. Um, but I thought they would have done that given that the purchasing power is low. And you've already, as I already mentioned, pay-per-view is a star-driven business. And you've already lost Nurmagomedov. So that means that on top of that, you're going to lose the star power that he brought. Now, I don't know who else is going to be on that card. And maybe if they stack it, it'll go well. Again, a lot of this is up in the air. But this idea that like, oh, there's nothing else on. And sure, it's not Tony versus Habib, but it's a sick fight. Therefore, it will do well. Well, there's nothing else on. That's true. And it's a sick fight. That's true. But the star power quotient is simply not the same. If you actually look at WrestleMania's numbers, which I gather is a totally different audience in many ways and a totally different world. But it wasn't like they killed it for WrestleMania, way down in terms of interest this year relative to previous years. And, and, why, and of course there is, right? You didn't have the huge stadium. It wasn't every sports site writing everything they could. I mean, this effing coronavirus is just eating everything around it in terms of just being this malignant force in the news, to be honest with you. I mean, could you go to any newspaper, open any magazine, even your favorite site that has nothing to do with, you know, news about viruses, you can't get away from it. Oh, I want to go to a video game website. They're going to have something about it. I want to go to a sports site. They're going to have something about it. I want to go to my local newspaper. They're going to have something about it. It's, it's inescapable. It's just eating everything. And I think people are concerned about their jobs. I think they're concerned about their health. They're concerned about their wealth. And if you see all of these layoffs happening in other industries, the reason why that's happening is because there's less money being passed around. Well, if there's less money being passed around, that's going to trickle down to the average consumer who also may have lost their job or might be worried about job loss or might just be more frugal as a consequence. Look, I'm not here to say UFC won't make money on it. Remember, they get a guaranteed fee on all of these. They're going to be just fine in all of this. I'm not saying the card won't be good. I'm not saying it's not worth your money. I'm not saying really any of those things. I'm just saying this idea that it's a foregone conclusion that these events will do well by virtue of the fact that there's no competition, mm, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. It's a foregone conclusion. And last but not least, I kind of indicated it, but it deserves to be repeated here. They did not, which isn't to say they don't have any, but they did not announce any safety protocol for this show. We have no idea what the safety protocol is. And I want to keep in mind, we don't know what good safety protocol should be. We just don't have any idea. So... Are they going to test all the fighters? I don't know. Are they going to have quarantines after the show is over? I don't know. 
Are they going to do something in terms of triage if someone tests positive on fight week? I don't know. I don't know any of those things. I don't know what the situation is at all. Um, And that, I think, to me, is a pretty key ingredient in all of this. How are we going to figure out what the truth is and what the the reality should be as it relates to safety protocol? Because to me, who is on the card is not nearly as interesting as... Well, it's interesting, but not nearly as important as how we're going to protect those people on the card. I think that's what I care about most. But there you have it. It appears to be official if they even make it to the deadline. I mean, we'll see. There's lots going on in the world. Boris Johnson, the head of the UK, is not doing well. So it's a fluid situation. But as I speak to you today, that's the plan. All right? Okay, keep hitting us up, LukeThomasShow at gmail.com, at MMA on SiriusXM, and uh, yeah, SiriusXM Foundation on Instagram. Luke Thomas Show, coming right back. This is Dave LaGreca. During these unprecedented times, we are doing our best to produce the content you expect while keeping our production staff out of harm's way. While you may not be able to call us, that doesn't mean you can't interact with us. Just hit us up on Twitter using hashtag AskBustedOpen. We look forward to talking about pro wrestling, talking about WrestleMania 36, and all of us getting back to the sport we love. Stay safe, be healthy. In the meantime, we want to once again thank you for subscribing to SiriusXM and listening to Fight Nation. All right, welcome back. Luke Thomas Show. Joining me now on the hotline is a media and technology reporter for CNBC.com. It's Alex Sherman. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hey, happy to be here. Uh, Alex, you actually wrote two pieces that I care about. I want to get to the first one, though. Uh, well, first, which was the one that caught my attention. Uh, and we'll tweet it out at MMA on SiriusXM, but it's called Media Networks Have Paid Billions for Sports They Won't Receive This Year, But the Fighting for Refunds Hasn't Started Yet. i got to tell you, Alex, I find this situation fascinating. Let me tell you how I found your piece. I've been following the story with DAZN. Because DAZN just said, you know what, we're just not going to pay you for content. Let me ask you. Given how the other entities in the space have not followed suit with that yet, is DAZN ahead of the curve, or are they making things difficult for themselves when these other sports rights uh, become available for negotiation and they can actually get them? Yeah, my guess is DAZN is, is going to be a one-off in this country. I mean, it, it's still to be determined, certainly. But, you know, DAZN does not have the same history of long-term relationships with leagues that some of these other networks have with their own uh, given leagues. So if we're talking about football, you got to think about NBC, CBS, ESPN. These, the various different parent companies have had relationships with the NFL for decades. Um, and their contracts run six, seven, eight years at a time. Um, so if the NFL decides that they feel one of these networks uh, has sort of stepped out of line and is asking to pay uh, less or nothing at all for games undelivered. The NFL always has the option of when the next contract renewal comes up, which, oh, by the way, happens to be right now uh, for 2022 and beyond, to give those rights away to someone else. And the networks, I think, are, um, are in a position where they cannot afford to lose the NFL to, say, Apple or Amazon or Google – now, granted, the NFL also may not be in the position where it wants to give away its rights to a tech company, even if it's getting paid more for those rights. But there's sort of a mutual relationship that I think neither side wants to break 
uh, and therefore I don't expect anything to sort of turn antagonistic there. Also, you got to remember these large media companies have huge balance sheets. The zone does not have that same type of balance sheet. They don't have the same, they're not in the same financial situation. They don't have the same uh, capital allocations from a, from a debt standpoint that some of these other companies have if they do in fact need to borrow, let's say billions of dollars. So DAZN is sort of in a league of its own, I think, right now, in terms of basically coming out and saying we're not paying. I don't think the other big media companies will will follow suit. Obviously, if things get really desperate, um, then yeah, DAZN may be the first one of, of many, but but I wouldn't expect that. Right, and the other thing about DAZN, and I'll move on to some of the other things you had written about here, because your DAZN was sort of a one-off in the piece that you had written, but... It, it, this idea is that they have, I realize in the global portfolio, they have a lot of different pieces, but in the American market, really all they have is combat sports, which is something of a Trojan horse to set themselves up for the NFL or NBA or MLB. The, the, John Skipper has been clear that like you cannot succeed with the zone if you don't have premier sports rights uh, on your platform. Uh, I, I just see this as like them indicating to these potential partners we are simply not reliable for the kind of business you need to do. Even if they hang around, this to me, again, I'm sort of asking the same question in two different ways, but don't you worry that if you're disowned about the lasting consequence of this? I mean, I guess the question is, Alex, if they have to do it, they have to do it. But if they don't, this seems deeply, deeply prepared to backfire. It's certainly, uh, it, look, if, if the scenario I just described happens where disowned is on an island by itself, DAZN has made it very public that they want to compete for Sunday ticket rights for the NFL. And like you said, Skipper has basically said, if we're going to compete in this country, we need more uh, you know, than, than MMA and other combat sports. So, yeah, you'd have to wonder if the NFL is looking at this and saying, well, you guys are out on your own asking for more money. Why would we, give, why would we hand you Sunday ticket rights when you basically put up a flag saying, you know, we, we, we can't afford to pay you? Uh, or at least we won't pay you for sports undelivered when we could be selling the same Sunday ticket rights to Disney, which is a $300 billion market cap, or Amazon, which has like a trillion dollar market cap. I don't know exactly what it is now given the recent market downturn, but it's huge. These companies aren't going to demand immediate non-payment for games not held. So yeah, I don't think it's a very good situation uh, for DAZN in this country. Maybe in other countries, they can weather the storm a little bit better because they're in a better position. But they come uh, at a position of weakness in this country, and I can't imagine this is going to help their cause. All right. Now, you had indicated something that I thought was really important in this piece, which was when the, the system between the networks and the cable providers and everybody else, when this all seizes up, it actually has a lot of sort of downstream consequences. Who all is affected by the game stopping from a monetary standpoint. Walk me through the economic, again, how permanent it is, how lasting it is, we don't know. But now that it's kind of seized up, walk me through the supply chain there of who all gets affected. Sure. Yeah, it's fairly complicated, and it's somewhat sport-driven. Um, we can start with the NCAA, which has already happened. So March Madness did not happen this year. So that was a complete cancellation. In the case of March Madness, um, the way those contracts are are spelled out, I was told, uh, the networks do not actually have to pay uh, the NCAA uh, all of what it was planning on paying because those games didn't, in fact, occur. That's different from the major professional sports, NBA, MLB, NFL, whose contracts are basically written where they do get paid 
whether or not the games take place. So in the case of the NCAA, the networks sort of, in essence, win out. They, 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 they get some money back. They don't have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars that they would have had to pay. The losers there are the NCAA itself and then the individual colleges, which then get money from the NCAA. So that's that supply chain. On the other end of things, let's talk about sort of the professional sports. If the, if the networks are paying in full, they are then passing those costs along to your pay TV distributors. We're talking about Comcast, AT&T, who, who you're paying for cable TV for, in essence. And then those companies are passing along those costs to you and me, consumers. Uh, so we, uh, the 80 million plus people paying for cable TV, end up paying 10, 20, 30 dollars a month. It's usually about 20 to 30 dollars based on your standard package in sports fees. Um, where we're not actually receiving the game. Uh, And that's why in the story I wrote, several media executives brought up to me that they fear someone in Congress may take up the cause that the the media companies, in essence, have to pay back consumers for these months and months and months that have gone by where people have been paying for regional sports networks and they've been paying for NBC and TNT and ESPN and Fox Sports 1 and all of the, the different sports networks out there that carry sports where they're not being delivered, where the costs are already baked into your cable bill. Uh, and and if, if, in fact, refunds would need to be paid back to consumers for however long this quarantine goes, that may end up being hundreds of millions of dollars these media companies basically have to pay back to you and me. Hmm. Let me ask you just a, as a bit of a side note here. How long do you think all of this has to go on? before we start getting into some force majeure, act of God territory, where people want to start ripping up contracts and follow, I don't know, zone's lead, but, but do what they're doing, essentially? Yeah, I think that's a good question. My guess is full season cancellation. That's what we're looking at. So if there's any way the NBA can, can play their playoffs or Major League Baseball has a half season or a third of a season, my guess is we won't see much of anything. There will, there, there basically will be the same situation where uh, a sport was had a strike, which we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, it's basically a moot point. You know, the, the the leagues take the money, everybody moves on with our life, and nothing really happens. A full season cancellation would be sort of unprecedented in modern times, um, and that's where I think you might end up seeing. Uh, a variety of different lawsuits or settlements um, or, or, or something of that nature where you're actually getting money refunded uh, and potentially consumers receiving some money um, for, for all of the cable bills that they paid where they didn't actually receive sports. Is it conceivable for something, let's say like the NFL, right? The juggernaut in American sports. Is it conceivable that they would say, we're not going to be ready by September, but we are going to be ready by I don't know, let's say February uh, 2021, let's just delay the season and find a way to make it work. Is that a plausible scenario rather than just to throw the baby out with the bathwater? It's possible. Um, you know, I, I think that the NFL will do whatever it takes um, to play games. I mean, you've seen President Trump already come out and say he expects the NFL to play this season. Uh, of all of the sports, they would be the most likely to actually play a season not only because their season doesn't actually start until September, but there's so much money tied up with the NFL. It's leaps and bounds over everything else. It's by far the most popular thing on television. 
uh, and has been for decades. Um, you know, President Trump has a pretty good relationship with many of the owners of the NFL and, 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 uh, uh, and some of the executives there. Uh, that would be my guess, would be the NFL will figure out some way of, of getting some sort of season out, whether that's through postponement or games with no fans um, or, or something of that ilk. If the NFL is canceled uh, completely, um, you know, I think we probably have, have big problems that go beyond sports. Yeah, we certainly do. Alex Sherman from CNBC joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. Uh, sort of a bit of an, another question here about AdRev, uh, again, which was not principally what you had written about, but I, I would just love to get your perspective, which is, um, you know, when the 2008 or nine recession hit, there was a major drop-off in ad revenue for, let's say, newspapers. And when the economy basically lit back to itself, mu- some of it came back, a lot of it never did. Are you at all concerned, at least as it relates to sports, let's say, which is seemingly the linchpin of pay TV, if this lasts long enough, not to force this, these contracts to all get ripped up, but to cause lasting damage to the ad rev market, how does that then affect the television sports landscape? It would certainly have an effect. And I mean, some of that is already baked in. If you take a look at a lot of the major media stocks, they've been hit hard over the past month. Um, so, you know, the Netflixes of the world have far outperformed Disney, Comcast, Viacom, CBS, and that's because Netflix does not have ad revenue. They only have subscription revenue. So the market is is already baking in that there's going to be a significant ad rev hit, and it's not going to just jump back to normal three months from now. Uh, so it will linger. Obviously, if we're going to, you know, if we're falling into a Great Depression or something like that, it will have long-lasting effects, just like everything will, will have long-lasting effects. Uh, and then, you know, you're sort of off. That certainly ripped up and, you know, look, some of the companies even that are, are holding some of these rights may not, may not exist or exist in certainly in different forms. So you'd be dealing with a completely different landscape there. But assuming we avoid that, my guess is the biggest media companies will take a hit, um, but things won't change all that drastically. It will be the weaker companies that will be the ones that, that go under or have long-lasting hits that were there sort of either in a different form or they're just not able to recover. And most of those companies um, are the local news companies, the newspaper companies that still exist, and a lot of the ad, ad-driven, non-subscription digital media companies who have already started furloughing employees, laying off employees, um, uh, you're cutting back on salary. Most of those companies do not hold the major sports rights. They exist in the media landscape. Uh, but they're not the major media companies that um, you know are, hold the sports that that we all watch on a day to day basis. All right. So you had also written about the streaming wars, which is a big uh, topic of fascination for mine. Um, and what you're suggesting uh, from the piece is that obviously, with people being home, there's been a spike. What we believe in streaming video usage. But there has also been a spike, as we know, in jobless uh, cl- uh, claims. I think unemployment, 10 million people in the last essentially two weeks. So talk to me about the existing trends, if you can, for how they've been, let's say, for the month of March. What have we noticed beyond simply those two broader considerations? Yeah, sure. So we do know that video usage is up uh, about 30% over an average day 
um, for uh, both Comcast and Verizon have come out and, and, and said that, um, you know, 30, 40% roughly in that range. Um, I found out through a Verizon uh, a spokesperson that the top three uh, apps that were used on Verizon Wireless in the month of March were YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. All of those, of course, are free. In essence, they're not subscription websites. So my, my immediate hypothesis was that we're about to enter into a couple months here where there are a few new subscription streaming products to hit the market. HBO Max is going to debut in May. Uh, there's this company, Quibi, which was founded by Jeffrey Katzenberg. CEO is Meg Whitman, the old um, eBay CEO, um, HP Enterprise CEO. She ran for governor of California. Um, <clears throat> that company is going to debut, uh, you know, actually this coming week. Um, and then NBC is going to release its Peacock streaming service, which is does have a limited version, but is a another subscription product. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Excuse me. It'll come out in um, the first version of that will come out in April, and then it will come out later uh, this summer. So the, the original hypothesis I had was, oh, <clears throat> this will be a great time for all these subscription streaming services. But I wasn't, counter, I wasn't counting on all of these different um, – uh, I wasn't counting on the huge wave of job losses that we have seen. And now you have to reconsider to some degree and think, well, if there's so many people that are unemployed – are they going to be looking to cut back on any discretionary spending they can? You know, if someone has lost their job, are they going to spend $5 on Quibi? Probably not. So the winners may end up being the user-generated free content that you see on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. Uh, a lot of these companies have already gained scale. But for people that are sort of looking for ways to entertain you know, yeah, there are going to be these new streaming subscription streaming services where they can dabble. And, and, and to their credit, a lot of these subscription streaming services realize this and they're offering long free trial periods, uh, sometimes up to a year. So they sort of get it. They realize people are probably not going to be spending a lot of money. But if you're looking for a way to entertain yourself and suddenly you've got you're in a situation where, you know, you can't see your friends. You can't go to restaurants. The, the, the way that people may be choosing to spend their time is with connected apps. So that's Instagram, that's Twitter, that's TikTok, that's, that's Facebook. It, <clears throat> excuse me, it may not be um, these subscription services that are more sort of solo enterprises. Hmm. Uh, if you want more of Alex's work, and I don't know why you wouldn't, you can follow him on Twitter at Sherman4949, a media and tech reporter for CNBC. Uh, Alex, great work. Really appreciate your insights. And uh, stay sane and healthy in these crazy times, my friend. Same. Thanks. We appreciate it. Like, uh, enjoy being on the show. Take care. This is your boy, Ock, from SiriusXM Fight Nation. Live sports all across the nation is on hold as we face this time of uncertainty in the world. We have concerns about family, friends, neighbors. So we're taking this time out to focus on the things that are important, like safety. One thing you can count on for sure is we're going to get through it together. Boxing and combat sports will return. And when it does, we'll be right here, right here on SiriusXM Fight Nation. In the meantime, you can join us for live sports talk with Mad Dog Sports Radio, Channel 82, and SiriusXM NFL Radio, Channel 88.
All right, we are back. Luke Thomas Show. Don't forget the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Uh, right now, we need to talk to a OG in the game, one of the very best to do it. Of course, he's a news editor over at MMAfighting.com. He's written some interesting stuff. Wanted to catch up with him. It's Damon Martin. Damon, how are you? Good, sir. I- I'm good, Luke. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, a bit of a sidebar on this, Damon, before we get to some of what's happening in the sport today, you know, everyone's been rewatching old fights. Uh, I went back and I watched some old, I think it was WEC fights, and I heard Ryan Bennett's voice. Isn't that wild, man? Like, you take these moments to go back and, and uh, look through MMA's history, and there he was. I wonder if you've done that, and, or if you've had moments over the years where that's kind of happened, where you just were looking at something, and there Ryan was. Yeah, absolutely. Funny enough, uh, like, last week, I think, it was, I think it was last week, they put out the video of uh, Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell won, which was the first event I ever covered as media. UFC 47, I believe it was. That was the first event I actually went as media back in 2004. And I had forgotten that at the end of that, you can actually see Ryan in the background because he was working for the UFC at that time as the in-cage uh, you know, interviewer. And I spotted him, and it was just like immediately, like a flow of emotions hit back to me that I spotted him there. And a few years ago, I'd actually done that as well. I watched a WC video, and I heard him and Steven Quadros on commentary, and I texted Steven because they used to do a commentary team with WC. So yeah, I've I've spotted him a couple of times, and it's always like you know, kind of it feels good to to see the uh, the legend that is the Hitman uh, kind of pop up here and there. Yeah, I wish more folks knew about him, but um, anyway, a different conversation for a different time. Let's get into today's situation where. Expecting to hear who might be on the card for UFC 249. As of the point of this conversation, Damon, I know I've been doing some other work. I've not heard anything. Is there anything that's been released about UFC 249 in any kind of official capacity right now? Nothing officially. They've not said a word. Uh, you know, no one has said, "Hey, we're going to have the announcement today at you know a certain time," or expect an announcement. I haven't heard anything. Now, of course, I've talked to people and heard some things off the record, and you know, heard some people tell me some things that are supposed to be coming down the pipe. But the UFC has said nothing publicly. To the extent you can reveal something, or just sort of a general impression of what might be happening, what are you expecting for two, UFC 249? And I'll, let me start with this basic consideration: one. We're still, what is it, 13 days away. Do you think there's any chance it won't happen? I think we have to take that at least possible. Uh, And two, general impressions about what might happen here when all this is said and done. Well, from my understanding, as of a couple of days ago, the UFC did officially secure a location for the fight, and they have told a couple of people that that has been uh, secured, and there is a location, you know, locked down and ready to go. Now, what I do know for a fact is no one knows where that is. They have kept that completely under wraps. I'm sure we've seen a couple of reports out there, possibly on the West Coast. I heard a couple other possible locations, and from what I understand is they're looking at Native American reservations where, obviously, the federal and state government can't control what happens there in terms of events being held. So uh, if that happens, that would that would make the most sense, and I've heard West Coast is the most likely landing spot, so I would say California. There are a lot of uh, you know Native American reservations in California. That might be a landing spot, but... Yeah, so as far as I know, they're telling fighters to be ready. I've heard that it's going to be a mixed match of fights that were already scheduled for UFC 249, and there may be a couple of matchups that were originally scheduled for either UFC on ESPN 8 or even UFC Portland popping up on those cards. The same thing may happen the following week if they continue putting on cards. Uh, The next card is supposed to be UFC Omaha, and again, I don't expect it to actually happen in Omaha, but from what I'm hearing is they're going to plan to start putting on events again, and I guess they've secured this one location where they can continue to have shows, 
Um, so yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, I think that the way they're going about it by going to a Native American reservation, they're avoiding the scrutiny of the federal or state governments because they have no control over that. So I think that's why they're going that route. And they're also keeping it in the United States because then they cut down on travel costs. They also cut down the likelihood that people couldn't get into the country or get out of the country. So I think this is all kind of a work in process and we'll see if anything changes between now and April 18th. Do you think there'll be to this point? I've not seen a whole lot of mainstream media say anything about it. You had Dan Wetzel of Yahoo seems mostly complimentary of the efforts. I saw David Zirin of the Nation uh, sort of say something moderately negative, but in general, they've not paid attention. Do you think that they will start to? And if so, what will be their reaction? What what kind of response, if any, will these efforts draw from mainstream media? You know, I think that there there will be a little bit more reaction just because at that point, if the UFC does move forward with the show on April 18th, they are going to be the only show in town. But I think a lot of the mainstream media now, I, I won't, I'm not going to sing a lot of the sports media, but the mainstream media in general, they've got a lot of bigger things to worry about than the UFC putting on shows with you know, everything else happening in the country. Now, the sports media is a different story. And again, we're going to be dealing with you know ESPN, who is obviously the biggest outlet out there. They are the broadcast partner of the UFC. So they've got a vested interest in the UFC putting on cards from here on out. Uh, so I don't know what the reaction is going to be. I think you will get you know some, some people saying it's a, it's a dangerous, uh, bad idea to do this. You'll see some other people just talk about the event itself and say it's good to see sports again. I think it's going to be a mixed reaction, to be honest with you, because – at the end of the day, the UFC mixed martial arts is still a niche sport. You know, it's 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 NASCAR. It's, you know, at this point, kind of hockey in a way. And I know a lot of hockey people are going to freak out when I say that. But, you know, it's not it's not football. It's not basketball. And it's not baseball in America. So a lot of the stuff that happens in those sports kind of slips under the radar, unless it's a major, major event like when we had, you know, Connor fight Habib or when Connor crossed over and fight Floyd Mayweather, where everybody's paying attention. I don't think even if it was Habib and Tony Ferguson, they would have that much scrutiny because as much as we all want to see that fight, it is still not a mainstream fight to the point where you're going to have people coming from, you know, the local newspapers and, 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 you know, people coming from around the world to see that as big as that fight was to us, it wasn't Connor Habib. So I think it's still going to slip under the radar to a certain extent. So here's the deal though. I, I think that, I don't think Khabib is as big a star as Connor. I don't think either of us would say that. But he is a pretty big star. I wonder if it's a bit of a mixed bag here for the UFC, right? On the one hand, losing Khabib probably diminishes what you could pull as a pay-per-view buy rate. Uh, on the other hand, it also might invite less scrutiny because you have less of a global superstar. What do you make of that consideration? Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, if you're talking about the whole A side, B side thing, Khabib was definitely the A side in this fight. I mean, he's not Connor, but uh, I just talked to a Vice reporter who did a story from Dagestan on the most recent episode of Vice on Showtime, and he told me that after you know, Habib was already a star, you know, in that part of the world, but after he beat Connor, he became almost like a demigod. You know, he became like a, a massive star in that part of the world. So he definitely was the bigger part of this fight and him being out does take away spot a part of the spotlight. So I agree with you. I think that is going to lessen the attention being paid to this card. But I think at this point, Dana White has been so adamant about promoting shows again, that he's going to move heaven and earth to make sure he puts on a show on the 18th. If for no other reason than to prove everybody wrong that he could do it. And, and you and I both know Dana to a certain extent. I'm not, you know, texting with him every day or anything, but you and I have both covered him long enough to know how he is. And he's kind of 
think he had that defiance disorder. When you tell him he can't do something, he wants to do it that much more. So I think that's kind of where we're at, where even though the fight that we all wanted to see, the fight that, you know, it feels like if you're going to make a fight during a freaking pandemic, you know, let's see Tony and Habib. Now that that's fallen apart, it almost feels like he's defiantly saying, I'm not going to cancel this show. I'm going to move forward on April 18th, no matter what it takes. What do you, two-part question, what do you anticipate will be in place? And this is, Damon, I apologize for putting you into a point of unfair speculation, but I'm going to do it just the same. What do you anticipate in terms of safety protocol related to COVID-19? What would you like to see? Well, you know, I think they are, I think they are testing fighters. I think they're doing it quietly because, you know, Francis Ngannou is about the only person who's come out publicly and said they tested him for it. But I think they're, I think they are, I think they are testing people, but I think it's being done very quietly for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because, you know, I think, you know, Dana is being Dana where he doesn't want to let any cat out of the bag as far as what they're doing, but also B, we got to realize testing is not available to a lot of people in this country, people who are sick are not able to get tested for COVID-19. And, you know, it's an unfortunate part of this country, but, you know, wealth and privilege buys you a lot of things, and that also can buy you testing. So that may be part of the reason why we're not hearing about this, because there's probably going to be a lot of people who would be rather angry that, you know, 24 UFC fighters who are probably not in any real danger of getting sick or actually, you know, you know falling deathly ill from this disease uh, are, are, you know, in, at risk of that. They're getting COVID-19 testing, whereas, you know, the people walking in the hospital with symptoms but aren't, you know, in that danger group, that, you know, 55 or 60 and above group, they're not even getting tested. I think that would anger a lot of people that, you know, wealth and privilege buys you testing. Uh, but I do think that's the case. And, and after talking to Felipe Nover, former UFC fighter who is now a nurse in New York City, you know, what he said to me was, uh, you know, listen, if they want to test everybody. Uh, on the card and then come back negative and put on your show because, you know, we can't stop things from moving on forever. Uh, I think that's got to be the case. I think they are testing everybody. I don't know that they're ever going to release those tests. I don't think they're ever going to make it public. Uh, and, and because of HIPAA laws, I don't think anyone's ever going to be required to tell us that they were tested. But I think that's what's going on behind the scenes uh, so they can at least say everyone was safe and secure going into the show. David Martin joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. All right, so let's talk about some of the things you have been looking into a little bit beyond just the Felipe Nova conversation, which was great as well. Namely, about fighters training. I know that Ray Long... It, there's been a bit of a mixed bag, right? I had Sujara Eubanks lash out at me and saying it's no big deal. I've seen Aljamain Sterling say the exact opposite, like it is a big deal. Now, partly fighters in the New York area are going to be a little bit harder hit. But from the conversations you're having with folks, how are they dealing in terms of training given the various laws that are, or regulations that have been passed related to social distancing and the like? Well, I think the fighters who actually have fights booked and they're coming up, they're making the do, they're making best with what they've got in front of them. Uh, I talked to a couple of people who said that, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to treat it as normal as possible. Alexander Hernandez, who is scheduled to fight at UFC 249, you know, he basically closed down the ranks. He only has a couple of people he's training with and a couple of coaches to keep the numbers down and making sure that nobody's sick and, you know, those kind of things. Uh, I've had other people tell me that, you know, they're just keeping, you know, basically the, the, the consensus of everyone is they're keeping their circle very small and to a number of people that they can trust aren't out, you know, getting, you know, they're, they're, they're keeping themselves quarantined to the point where they're not at risk of getting sick. Uh, Jeremy Stevens told me that his coach, Eric Del Fiero, who is a well-known coach in the industry, you know, hasn't really been a part of his camp in the camp because Eric is a firefighter in San Diego. And so he's around, you know, COVID-19 patients pretty constantly. And even though he 
safe and, you know, obviously not, I would assume at this point, this was a couple of weeks ago, but not showing any signs of being sick or anything, but he doesn't want to risk being around his team because there's a possibility that he's an asymptomatic carrier and he could still pass it along to somebody else. So he's kind of been distant from his team. I've heard other people talk about they're getting coaching over Skype or over Zoom and things like that. Uh, you know, some fighters have told me that, you know, when they weren't able to travel, uh, I talked to Michael Chandler, uh, who who has a fight coming up in June, which is still scheduled, but he actually has been, you know, conversing with his coaches down in Florida uh, over Skype or Zoom just to kind of, you know, get in tune of what they're going to do with his training camp. So they're making a do. And the one thing I will say about fighters and the one thing I have heard from everyone who has a fight scheduled on the books who was already training for 8, 10, 12 weeks before this happened, was that, you know, fighters all face adversity. They, they cut weight. They get short-notice opponents. They, you know, have a fight delayed and they have to, you know, push their camp back a week. All these kind of crazy things happen. And, and a lot of them tell me that this is just one other piece of adversity that they have to face, and they just have to find a way through it. Yeah, but they would they have a natural inclination to tell themselves that, right? I mean, of course, they don't want to. I mean, what what obstacle has ever been put in front of a fighter where they said they couldn't overcome it, irrespective of the fact that they actually couldn't overcome it? I guess my response would be, Damon, and I realize you're just relaying someone else's viewpoint, but um, it's one thing for like, oh, this guy had an injury, that guy had a bad weight cut, but we're talking about at scale, all of them have had some kind of limitations, some worse than others put on them, doesn't that at least indicate there could be a drop-off in fight quality or at least a potential change in the fortunes of some of them given the inadequate prep? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah, of course you're going to see that. And I think there are going to be some cases, you know, extreme cases where people have been really, really affected. You talk about the fighters in New York, you know, they're at particular risk, not only because New York has been the hardest place hit in terms of the coronavirus in the United States, but obviously they're packed into a much smaller space per capita, you know, population wise. So they're at a, a much bigger risk than somebody who maybe is training, you know, in, in, you know, a small town in Colorado where they're not as, you know, there's no cases broken out, things like that. So yeah, I think we absolutely could see that where there are going to be some performances affected. People are going to maybe not be in the best shape of their life, not as well prepared. Again, I talk about some people are receiving coaching over Zoom or Skype. Now, that's an innovative way to do it, but it's still not the same as being in a gym with your coach right there watching everything you're doing with training partners and overseeing your sparring sessions and things like that. So these little things can absolutely come back to bite them. Uh, you know, when it comes time to the fight, we also talk about conditioning. I mean, you know, a lot of people, you know, believe conditioning is one of the easier things you can prepare for. Justin Gaethje told me this is long before he was rumored to fight Tony Ferguson, but you know, he has a treadmill in his home and he's like, I just run a lot in my home. So I'm still getting conditioning, even though I'm not doing it outside. Uh, so everyone's making do, but again, these are not optimal conditions for a fight in terms of what they're doing to get ready. Just because across the board, gyms are closed. You can't have, you know, a, a big number of people together. So maybe they're training with one person or two people. So yeah, these conditions are not optimal. And you absolutely could see that affect their performances come April 18th, April 25th, or whenever these fights are taking place. What do you make about the larger calendar? Like on the one hand, uh, 249 may or may not take place. Let's say it probably does at this point in one capacity or another. But in terms of 250 and other things getting off the ground, my hunch is that they might be able to do some of the bigger events, but are they going to be able to keep up the kind of calendar that they've already lost and that they need to maintain to have the same amount of inventory done by the time January 1st, 2021 rolls around, right? Like, because otherwise they have to pay the people. So is your sense that like, he's like, oh, we're just going to go back to normal. 
I, I can believe that they can pull off shows, Damon. I'm not sure they can go back to normal. What is your sense? Yeah, I think I, I, right now I'd have to agree with you in, in terms of I think they're going to continue to try to do the big cards. You got UFC 249. I think they're going to try to move forward to UFC 250. I don't think it's going to be in Brazil. I think they're going to end up having to move it to the United States. But I think what they're preparing for is the possibility of moving other fights around to fill those cards. I spoke to Anthony Smith last week and he's obviously headlining the ufc omaha card a week after ufc 249 and he told me the ufc has been in constant contact you know making sure he's training and ready and ready to go on april 25th now i think you and i can both predict the fight probably won't be in omaha nebraska but uh, i think they are getting these people ready and making sure they are ready to fight so let's say hypothetically ufc omaha gets canceled or postponed as they want to say but a lot of those fights including maybe anthony smith and glover to share and a couple of the others could easily shift over to ufc 250 to fill up the card for other people who can't maybe get out of brazil or anybody who's traveling from countries where they can't get out of the country things like that so i think Maybe we're going to lose cars, but I think they're going to try to fill those spots with some of the bigger fights, like we've all heard the rumors about Francis Ngannou and uh, Jairzinho Rosenstreich possibly moving to UFC 249. The rumors about Jorgen DeCastro and Greg Hardy possibly moving to UFC 249. I think they're filling those spots with other fights. So I agree with you. I think we're only going to get the biggest cars, or I think that's going to end up being what happens. But I think they're going to try to cobble things together to still make them the biggest cards possible, because in some cases, is it's out of necessity you just can't like what's happening in russia right now they're not going to be able to get habib and islam makashev and some of these other guys out of there and to the united states in time so they're going to have to fill those spots with other fighters and i think that's what you're going to see the ufc portland fighters the ufc omaha fighters the ufc san diego fighters things like that all right last question on this very quickly you think tyron woodley and or colby covington fight so i'm not just saying they fight each other at all, in any capacity whatsoever. Do they do they fight at 249 or, let's say, the month of April? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think uh, I, I don't think so. I think when you when you get down to it, it's going to come down to money for both guys. And uh, I don't know if the UFC is going to want to pay them uh, what they want to get back in there, especially on short notice. Tyron's in a little different situation because he was supposed to fight at UFC London. But, again, it's about securing the right opponent. I think if you're talking about Colby Covington, I think he's going to want to get paid handsomely to step in after having a, you know, a, a partially fractured jaw or whatever it was and coming back on short notice. And I don't know the UFC is going to want to pony up that kind of money to get either one of them on short notice. If you want more of his work, you can get it at MMAfighting.com. He's an OG in the game. He also covers on Nerdcore Movement, his other website, all kinds of stuff about the world of entertainment and beyond. It's Damon Martin. Damon, always good catching up with you, my friend. Great info. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.